It was wonderful last week to have Dave Zoll with us as our Foundation Lecture Series speaker, as well as to preach the first Sunday of Lent. I'm grateful for all of those on staff and in our lay leadership who um, made that happen. It was a gift to this community, a gift to this congregation. It's a gift to me. And um, we're going to be using, I hope, I hope this isn't new news, Dave Zoll's book, Low Anthropology, as a guide uh, to go through Lent. I hope that you have gotten that and started reading it. If not, it's not too late. You can get started. Uh, you can talk about it in small groups. You can join in that. There's a Sunday school class during this worship service at 930 uh, that is open invitation for Lent for you to be able to come and discuss the book with other people. Um, you might want to check that out. And, um, and it's, it's, it's going to be a good journey that we're on. It's also going to be guiding us in worship. And what we're not going to be doing in worship, and I just want you to know this, we're not going to be giving you book reports every Sunday in the sermons, right? We're not going to be going on 30, page 33, he says this, and on page 36, he says this, page 39, he says this, and, and like giving you the cliff notes. But what we are going to do is let the sections of this book guide us through Scripture for the, for the preacher that week to kind of be able to interact with and interpret uh, some of the themes to so help us maybe get in a little deeper to what this idea of Lent and low anthropology have to do with each other. So today and for the next two weeks, we're going to look at some of the early chapters of Dave Zoll's book where he talks about the three pillars of low anthropology. Three things that are true about us that because they're true about us, lead us to low anthropology versus what he calls high anthropology. And these are the three pillars. They're limitation, doubleness, and self-centeredness. We're going to talk about each of those three, one each week. And so today, we're talking about the truth of how we are limited, how limitation is a part of our stories and leads us to low anthropology. The scripture that is going to guide us is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And I invite you to listen now to God's word to us today. As Jesus was setting out on a journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. For those of you with teenagers, you just have that posted around your house like we do in every room. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today that we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've had several people who have talked to me about this book, Low Anthropology, and they've come up, a couple of you, and I'm not calling anybody out, not shaming anybody, but just want you to know, I've had people come up and be like, oh, I really like this book. And I want you to know that when I hear that, it raises a question in my head, which is, I don't know if you've actually read it. <laughs> because I'm pretty certain you have to be uncomfortable with this book before you can like it. I'm pretty certain you kind of have to not like this book and the message in it before you can really like it. 
And the reason for that is when he talks about what is high anthropology and low anthropology, when we read that, almost everyone in this room is going to go, oh, I want high anthropology. That's, that's what I choose. That's what I believe. That's what I want. I'm not drawn to low anthropology. You've got to be uncomfortable with it before you can really embrace the message. Now, let's define what we mean by that to kind of set this up. Uh, he has a definition of anthropology that we're going to bring up here. Uh, it's in the title. It's important. He says, anthropology simply means what we believe about human nature. What do we think about human nature? And he goes on to say, high anthropology is sort of taking the best optimistic view of human nature. It's every graduation speech you've ever heard, right? There are no limits on you. It's the cards you give to people on graduation, right? You can do anything you set your mind to. You know, you can be anything. You can become anything. You can do anything. The world's a great place. It's just kind of moving up into the right. Oh, yeah, there's things like the Holocaust. But outside of that, it's kind of moving in a really good direction. We as human beings are getting better. Our society's getting better. You, know, you, you can, like, there's, there's just no, there's no limitation, no barriers. The world is your oyster. That's high anthropology. We love that. That sounds great, right? Teach our kids that. You can do anything you want to do. As long as it's honoring your father and mother and honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother. <laughs> there's no limits to life. We love high anthropology. Now, low anthropology says... I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think that there's a shadow side to us. All of us, not just some of us. I think that, 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 that there's days where everything should be good and I just kind of sabotage it. I don't know why. I, I think as a society, we should look at our country and our world and just go like, we live in the most amazing place and, and we have a, so you guys must be the happiest country and the happiest people, the most harmonious, you don't have any dictators, you don't have any, and we're like, yeah, no, we fight more than ever, right? Like there's something in us it just kind of, it's like it, it keeps kind of cropping up. It almost, we self-sabotage all, all of us. Now, low anthropology, in its, I think in its bad form, can become cynical. And that's not the gospel. But low anthropologists hear a graduation speech. It's like, you can do anything. Everyone's like, yes. And low anthropologists, there's a part of you going, really? I don't know, man. I've been like working to be able to slam dunk a basketball for a lot of years. It feels like there's something about being born in this body just not going to happen. I don't know. No, no, don't crush your dreams. It's going to happen. Low anthropologist going, I don't know. Here's how I would describe it, okay? And this image has been in my head since I read the book. I don't know if it'll, if it'll be helpful to you, uh, but, but uh, I've had a major parenting milestone uh, in the last week, and that is I have two children. I have graduated from having to teach anybody in my household how to drive anymore. It's like for the last three years, that's a big deal. Both of my daughters, I've been the kind of primary driving teacher, uh, but over a week, just over a week ago, Hannah got her driver's license. She's now driving. Miriam's been driving. Um, and, you know, it's a huge thing. When after three years, like, I don't have to do the parent-taught driving stuff anymore and all the, like, forms. And, you know, we went through DPS both times, and we had the 76 different forms that you needed. And we got it done. It's happened. It's real. And I'm not saying that to warn you. They're good drivers, right? <laughs> they had a great teacher. <laughs> now, high anthropology 
would work like this. If I was a high anthropology driving teacher, what I would have taught them is, is like driving is gonna be the most amazing experience you've ever had because all drivers are wonderful. And every time you go out on the road, you're gonna see the best parts of humanity. You're never gonna feel more hopeful about the future of the world than to get on I-35 at rush hour. It's just gonna be amazing. And every year, Austin's getting better at driving. Drivers are getting more patient. And every time someone makes a hand gesture, you to you, they're going to be going, come right in. We have this spot for you. You know, just like pull right into this place. Uh, and because we know that sitting on your cell phone makes you a bad driver, we've learned that. So no one's ever going to be distracted on a phone while they're driving. It's just, just going to remind you of what's hopeful about the world. Every time you go out, you'll just be coming back going, life is amazing. Human beings are amazing. No, we went with the low anthropology school of teaching them how to drive. People are fools. I need you to anticipate that. I need you to be aware of that. I need you to not be surprised when someone cuts you off. I need you to not be surprised when someone is on their phone and distracted. I need you to anticipate they are going to do the thing that you can't believe. You need to not assume anything good about anybody out of this. I'm exaggerating this a little bit. But it's like you need to be aware of this. People are going to cut you off. People are gonna be frustrated. People are gonna not use their indicators. It's gonna happen. It doesn't prepare you well to be like, everyone's just gonna follow every rule and it's gonna be great. You're like, Thomas, that's not nice. Just true. And here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. Using Zoll's work, it's not just that low anthropology makes you a better driver, but what actually he's trying to get out here is that it can make you a happier one. Because you're not going to be outraged every time someone does something wrong. Because you kind of know it's going to happen. But what you start to notice is gratitude when people are kind on the road. And people are kind on the road at times. When someone does let you in. When somebody is kind of generous to you. You're sitting there going, wow, thank you for that. Like, because I don't always anticipate that happening. High anthropology, and Zoll writes about this, we see this in our society. Again, I'm not talking about driving anymore now. He would see this in our society. He says, a high anthropology world, we love the idea, but it makes you uh, more anxious. And then why does it make you more anxious and more of a perfectionist? Because if you've been told your whole life you can do anything you want to do, there are no limits on you, and then you don't succeed at something, you only have yourself to blame. So we have to perform at a level. And because we often can't, what it also leads to is we start becoming lonely because other people are our competition. We start hiding from each other in community because we can only project certain images that we want them to see about us in a high anthropology world. There is so much of the shadow sides of our society right now that high anthropology is the fruit of it. But that actually low anthropology leads us to a different way of having more grace, of forgiving each other, being kinder to each other in all kinds of ways. So again, I'm like halfway through my time. I haven't gotten yet to the actual scripture we're talking about today. Um, so let's talk about why that is. Why is the low anthropology true? Um, and as we go through Lent, this is important. And what Dave Zoll writes is there are three pillars. There's three things about low anthropology that make it so that high anthropology, as good as it sounds, just isn't possible. It's not even desirable necessarily because of these three things. The first of these pillars is limitation. There is limits to all of us. Now, how does he define that? Let's bring that definition up. 
He says, limitation means that we are bound by time and biology and history and all sorts of other factors that shape our behavior. We're bound by biology, we're bound by time, we are bound uh, by, by uh, different things that inform our viewpoints on the world. We kind of have different convictions, but they're determined by who our parents were and what part of the country we were born in and what part of the world we were born in, what our race is, what our gender is. They're all different kinds of things. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it does mean that we have a particular viewpoint of stuff, right? There are limits to each and every one of us. And in the scripture passage from Mark 10, we actually see this uh, kind of duality, uh, this sort of dual of high anthropology and low anthropology. In, in your bulletins, the scripture passage is there. You might pull that out and, and look at it because there's this back and forth of high anthropology and low anthropology, but it's really built around this idea of limitation. All right? So if you look in your scripture passage, Jesus is kind of getting ready to go on a journey, and this guy comes up to him, uh, described as a rich man, comes up to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, is that a high anthropology or low anthropology intro? High anthropology, right. He's saying to Jesus from the beginning, you're not just a teacher, you're a good teacher. Again, I want you to see why this starts leading to a culture of anxiety and perfectionism. Because if you're a regular person, not Jesus, and you hear that, there can start becoming this pressure every time you teach of, I gotta be good. I can't just be normal, I gotta be good. That's my baseline now, because I don't want to lose that identity. You see that? You see how it creates this pressure filled that our kids are living in right now. I'm not just a teacher, I'm a good teacher. Oh, I don't want to put that sermon online, I didn't feel as good about it. Let's keep the one up there from three weeks ago, because that one was really good. Because I'm not just a preacher, I'm a good preacher. You see that? It's a lot of a pressure cooker in a high anthropology system. Good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives a low anthropology answer, doesn't he? Why do you call me good? It's this great response. Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God alone. But then he goes on with this low anthropology response and says, but you know, you've got to follow the commandments. You've got to uh, obey your father and mother. And you've got to uh, you know, not lie and not steal and not bear false witness and, and, and honor your father and mother and the important things that are there. And this guy gives a response that I know I couldn't give. I don't know about you. But this guy is such an accomplished person, uh, such an accomplished high anthropology person that he looks at Jesus and goes, I've actually done all of those since my youth. If Jesus said that to me, I'd be like, I'm in a lot of trouble then, right? But it's like, no, I've actually done all of those since I was young. That's how hard I've worked at this. That's how much I've disciplined myself. That's what it is. And it says that not only do we kind of love that, it's like, man, you look what, how good you can be. It says, there's something in Jesus where Mark says that Jesus loved him. I, I, I think this is so important. Jesus looks at him and loves him in his desire to do well, to be good, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, there's just one more thing. Just, you know, just sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says that the man goes away disappointed. Because at the beginning of the passage, he's identified not by his name, he's identified as a rich man. This is something that is part of his identity, part of how he understands himself, part of how he interacts with the world, how others know him. And there is a barrier to what he can let go of. Do you see that? He's like, well, that I can't let go of. There's a, there's a limit. Again, I'm not criticizing the guy. Not only could I not get through the first round of the interview, but if Jesus said to me, well, you have to give up everything and go, like, come follow me and go. To the, that's a hard conversation for me and Beth to have, right? Like, well, college is coming up. I have an idea. 
let's go sell everything we have to give it to the poor and the kids will be fine with it. Like I get, this is hard, right? And he can't do it. He goes away. There's a limit. There's a barrier. What are your limits? To illustrate this really quickly, I want to bring a photo up here just to kind of understand limitation. Who is this? Michael Phelps, right? And now some of you right now going, don't rip on Michael Phelps, man. National hero, uh, amazing athlete, four different Olympics, more gold medals than anyone else. Beijing, 2008, I can still remember, won eight gold medals. No one's ever done that in Olympic history. All of that is true, and I'm not here to rip on Michael Phelps much. Because <laughs> he is, he's an amazing athlete. Unbelievable things, things that have not happened before in history. He, it was, it's, it's incredible. Like, that's his fourth Olympic set of medals from Rio in 2016, right? That's not, that's not the best. That, Beijing, he did better. Incredible athlete. However, when Michael Phelps, in, after 2008, released a book, because, you know, you got to capitalize on being the greatest Olympian in history, and it was called No Limits, which is just a great book. Some of you may have read it. It's a great title. And, uh, and in it, he has this quote. We're going to bring this quote up here. This is what he says. He says, I wouldn't say anything is impossible. I think that everything is possible as long as you put your mind to it and put the work in and time into it. <laughs> is that high anthropology or low anthropology? That is high. What's impossible? Nothing. Nothing. And I'm Michael Phelps. I'm telling, this is the quote they released to promote the book. Because they know as a society, we eat this stuff up. Like, I can't say that, but Michael Phelps can say that. You have the right mindset. You got to do this stuff, and you can win more medals. Like, then nothing's impossible. Just work hard, have the right mindset. Nothing. Well, maybe some things are impossible. For example... He swam in the 2004 Olympics, swam in the 2008 Olympics, won eight gold medals, swam in the 2012 Olympics, swam in the 2016 Olympics, did amazing. 2024 Olympics are coming up next summer in Paris. Going to be amazing, right? Is Michael Phelps being considered to swim on the U.S. team in 2024? Is anyone talking about that? No, because his mindset's changed, right? No, because he doesn't work hard anymore. No. Why is Michael Phelps not being talked about to swim in the 2024 Olympics? Because he's older than he was in Beijing. Because no one's looking at someone who's 40 or whatever going, man, you know, just train hard and you're going to be in the pool winning eight gold medals again. Because biology's real. Because aging, no, aging's just a number. No, it's not. Not in the world of competitive swimming. It's an actual thing, right? There are limits to, I'm not saying it's negative, I'm not, and I mean that seriously, I'm not saying aging is a negative thing, but it's a real thing, and it has limits that go along with it. Turns out, there are things that are impossible for us. Limits are real. That's not, I'm not ripping on Michael Phelps, and that's just real. When I was young, and someone asked me what I was going to do for college, it made total sense to me. I was going to go to Georgia Tech where my dad went to college, where my grandfather went to college. My grandfather was an electrical engineer there. I kind of grew up in sort of an engineering sort of world, sort of family, and I was going to play basketball there. That was what I was going to do. Like, that made total sense. I went to Georgia Tech games all the time. My parents, my grandparents, huge fans. I grew up just kind of in that, which is a very painful team to grow up like calling for, but that's what I was born into. I was going to play basketball. When I was young, I went to this small uh, private school. I was the best basketball player on the team. It just made sense to me. Then some things happened. For example, 
I got to a bigger school for high school. It turned out I wasn't the best player on the team. Turns out by the second practice, I was just hoping to make the high school team. I was not going to go play college basketball. That didn't happen. Again, this is what, this is what God gave me, right? Like, this is not something. No one looks at me and is like, did you play college basketball? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody comes up to me in the grocery store. It's like, did you? Do, do you? Right? Like, it just didn't happen, right? And then, so I'm going to go to Georgia Tech and not be. Turns out, I didn't know this, to be an engineer, you have to be good at science. (laughs) And my ninth grade biology class didn't go so well. My 10th grade chemistry class went less well. My 11th grade physics class, my teacher actually said to me, if you ever design an airplane, I'm not getting in it. Don't say that to him. He can do anything he wants to do. Don't crush his dreams. It was actually liberating because I'm like, I hate this stuff. And they're like, yeah, you're terrible at it, right? It actually confirmed the limitations were real. It It didn't crush my spirit. You might be saying again, like you might be saying right, going like, are you saying like, the, I, I love like the graduation speech. I got a copy of the graduation speech. I read it every day. It motivates me. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you can do anything you want to do. Like, I don't like this. I, I, you have to not like this message before you can like it. Oh, I love the book. Really? Have you read it? Because you're going to want the other thing when you first read it. You're going to want the, the nothing's impossible. There's no limitations. Just work hard. And have, that's what you're going to be drawn to. That's what I'm drawn to. But limitation is real in all of our lives. It's not a criticism. It's not criticizing. It's just, it's just true. And some of you are going to be going like, oh, I don't like this church. I don't like the series. I just joined in the new members class last week. And now I've got to go find another church. I don't like, he's telling me everything I've wanted. It doesn't. What's the Christian response to this? It's not just that you don't, You can't do everything you want to do, so just know that you're bad. That's not the gospel. That leads us to a low anthropology that leads us to what? Grace. Our faith isn't one that says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal law rules, follow all the commandments, I'm a good teacher, I'm telling you how to be a good student. That's not what the gospel is. That's high anthropology, that's religion. Low anthropology says... On the cross, I did and accomplished what you cannot. You are loved. You are forgiven. Grace is amazing. Sit in that. You are limited, but you're not lost and forgotten. You're not turned away. You're welcomed home because the one without limits has done what you cannot. Not only is it about grace, but on top of that, it's also then an understanding that our lives are about calling. I think that's the Christian response to the graduation speeches. Is that in our limitation, what we also can understand and celebrate is that we're called by God. That God can work through us. That our lives can be lived in response. That you can say, God, what do you want to do? I thought I was going to be a basketball player at Georgia Tech. He said, I'm a preacher in Austin, Texas. But there's something in me that is called to this. 
Not because I'm good enough. Not because I'm holy enough. Not because I'm moral enough. Because in God's graciousness, calling is still possible. And your limitations might actually be a part of your calling. See, I think it's lazy. I think it's a lazy spirituality to just say, well, God just made us so that we can all do everything. That feels to me like when I was parenting young kids and I was just like, I don't know, I'm tired, just do whatever you want to do. Right? It's like, I cannot read another book about a singing triangle. Just do whatever you want to do uh, and I'm going to kind of go over here for a little. That's not, that's not a caring God. That's a lazy God. I don't know, there's just no limits on any of you. You can do whatever you want. Our gospel is one that God looks at you and said, I have knit you together in your mother's womb. You are created in unique ways. Yes, you have limitations that other people don't have. And you might spend your life going, I want to be more like him. I want to be more like her. I want to be able to do what that person does. But that's not what I made you to do, God's saying. I made you for a particular purpose. You have a calling. You have a reason that you're here. And to lean into the uniqueness of what makes you limited and what gifts you have are how you figure. Don't keep ramming your head against the wall going, I will have no limits. Lean into the fact that you are limited, but you're uniquely gifted. And you can have a call that was designed just for you. That's a graduation speech. How do you think about call, no matter who you are? There's this great quote from Howard Thurman. Some seminary students about 100 years ago asked him how they understood, what are they called to do? Howard Thurman says, think about this in your own life. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. And go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What does that mean for you? Because it's different than the person next to you. Not because you're not as good, but because God has a particular calling for you that is unique from anyone else. And ask yourself the question in terms of your makeup, what makes me come alive? In God's graciousness, God allows me to have purpose and calling every day of my life if I listen for it. What makes me come alive? Other people might look at you and that's weird. You have been uniquely forgiven. You have been uniquely equipped. You have been uniquely called. Today and this week, I invite you to ponder that. To not resist the fact we're limited, but to actually embrace it. And treasure it. Because it's the path towards finding how deep and wide and wonderful life can be. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your leading and your guiding as your imperfect people who you perfectly love. Forgive us, call us, send us out to live your gospel where we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name, amen.